We got a special one tonight on the Stone Cold Steve Austin Broken Skull Sessions here on Tap Out Talk. Let's get in. Welcome everybody, this is the Stone Cold Steve Austin Broken Skull Sessions, and we're undertaking a big task tonight. It's episode 10, one more round, one more time, cheers to The Undertaker. Welcome everybody, and here we are going to get in to popular demand. Stone Cold Steve Austin invited The Undertaker back for one more drink and one more round after the first episode of the Broken Skull Session. This is the 10th episode. Steve Austin asks The Undertaker what he's been up to, and he responds with nothing. And he's happy about that. The Undertaker was busy promoting the Last Ride documentary at the time when it came out. And now it's The Undertaker's Appreciation Month which means he seems somewhat embarrassed by giving the sheer amount of attention he's received. Steve Austin asked The Undertaker how it's been going from 30 years of kayfabe for now putting himself kind of out there for the first time in so many years. The Taker reveals that it's been easier, um, but there are still those moments when he second guesses himself, and since it doesn't feel natural to break the wall down a little bit because he's lived with it for so long. He struggled with wondering if he should have kept it in and just kind of kept the curtain closed, so to speak. Uh, Steve also kind of notes at this point that he's, you know, basically loved, you know, that since he's an actual human being and there's so many stories that he just was loved to share with everyone. You know, they have a cheers and they uh, start out the show with a nice little shot of Jack and then they do a little Broken Skull Session beer and have a cheers to break this show in. So Steve wastes no time by bringing out the Jack Daniels and uh, the two laugh and they have a joke and it's long lasting time. So The Undertaker said, if it were up to me, I would still be living kayfabe, but it's been very liberating to share some of the things that, you know, we've done not only in the ring, but on tour and overseas. Steve notes, you know, in return, but that by not sharing the stories, you know, what was he going to do, right? He would just be kind of sitting at home. Steve also brings up how he's been asked recently about the Stone Cold character and notes that he would flip the situation on and off and dial it up, so to speak, as he asks where The Undertaker is and where is Mark Calloway, the man, um, if he gets too, too confused, you know, if he gets him kind of mixed up. Uh, the Taker responds basically and says no absolutely not 90% of the time he is Mark Calloway he tries to keep up with the look he keeps up with everyone with Mark these days the comfortable he's really comfortable with that he doesn't require extra recognition um, Steve points out a photo on their screen at this time and with the two standing in the ring at Madison Square Garden and they point out Jack Lanza the two take a shot of Jack Daniels in honor of Jack Lanza and cheers each other on their careers and Steve asks Taker if he's, you know, been kayfabing since he loves Jack Daniels and beer that he holds up the Undertaker wine. I don't know if you guys have seen that, but that's the Undertaker wine. I might have to get a bottle of that. They came out with a WWE uh, bottle of, like, wine of the Undertaker, and they also had an Ultimate Warrior one. 
I don't know. If you guys know it's good, let me know in the section down below. And he says, hey, brother, you've got to expand the portfolio. So I thought that was a good little rib on uh, Austin Taker there. So we then go into the first segment, and we get into the 30 years. Um, and, you know, really the 30 years of Survivor Series this last year was the 30th anniversary of The Undertaker debuting in the WWE. Steve brings up the 30-year celebration, and he remembers his debut, and he briefly reflects on how he knew Mark prior to the WWF in the Southern Territories and the WCW while pointing out and it's still his greatest character of all time. The Undertaker, 30 years, you know, he responds. He says, 30 years, I'm completely humbled. I've kept my fan base. He notes how his Survivor Series debut felt like yesterday to him. And it's incredible. He's never burned himself out after 30 years. And he's never burned out the crowd, which is very, very easy to do in the pro wrestling world. The Taker notes that, you know, it's not an easy life. And so that, you know, the date gets easier if there's a big reward attached. And he goes, but once you get to such a high level, your world revolves around the business. If he was still able, the taker would be competing exactly right now. Austin brought up how he felt, you know, selfish and sacrificed some of his relationships because the business was everything to him and how he was basically provided for his family. Um, Undertaker admitted that it's really difficult to maintain relationships when you achieve a level of success that they have. And while they are in regrets in his personal life, um, he asks, you know, for forgiveness for the things that he's done. Undertaker then goes on to say, you have to be totally committed to it. There's a lot of time. I'm not going to get back from my children, but I hope that one day they appreciate the life that they were provided and it doesn't make up for the time I wasn't there. But I asked for forgiveness. I was blessed. And I hope it works out for everybody. Austin then asked if The Undertaker was consumed by the business while at home thinking about storylines. The Undertaker lived the gimmick 24-7. He kept the gears turning constantly in his mind. And he was always eager to get back on the road. He didn't know if, you know, he could feel, you know, Ultimately, he didn't know if like what to do with himself during those off days because he was always thinking about work. The Undertaker then feels that there was something missing in the business now, and the Undertaker feels that there's something missing overall, and he's reaching to the top of the card, and that's that build towards a championship. When Austin was on top, everyone wanted what he had. Not everyone got what they wanted or what, what he had, but not everyone got there, but they tried. This mentality doesn't allow you to settle or be in the middle of the road. We then get a nice screenshot, as you see here, with Austin revealing a custom championship belt that inspired by the old Winged Eagle championship from the old days. And while being all blacked out with some purple stitching on the details, Austin joked that the taker can sign it and leave it with him, but the undertaker said, I'll probably wear it to the airport. This popped Austin since the two joked about how they used to rib guys wearing their belts all through the airport and told them that's what they had to do when they first got the belts. Um, I like this championship. I like the look. Yeah, it's a classic. If anybody gets a classic winged eagle championship, this looks like it would be in the Ministry of Darkness era, you know. So I like how they gave it the Undertaker spin on a classic title because, you know, classic wrestler, classic title, right? 
So then Austin asked Undertaker his thoughts on the championship belt. And the Undertaker responds in kindly. Honestly, it goes on the guy that's putting the asses in the seats. I like the old school mentality of finding that guy. And as long as that guy is riding the wave like you do, that's your guy. The Undertaker points out that when you think of a world champion, you think of the likes of Ric Flair, Harley Race, and so on. Austin brought up how the belt didn't make necessarily the Undertaker since he had it only about seven times, but never required the validation. The Taker agreed, and he felt that no one really associates with him with the world championship while being far more compelling by chasing it. A babyface monster champion is really difficult to book. You know, it's um, something I've heard years ago, guys, and it was a overall, you know, the title doesn't make the man. The man makes the title, right? And we see that in today's WWE as we kind of look. And you've got to be really careful of who you put that title on because that man truly defines and makes the title what it is. And when you have a great era, it really is the man doing the work behind that. I agree 100% with this thought here. We've got, uh, we get into the WrestleMania moments section, and we got to talk about WrestleMania moments, right? Because The Undertaker is the most iconic figure to come out of any WrestleMania. We talked about the 21-1 streak. Austin brings up the streak, and since, you know, they never went in depth about it last time he was on the show, The Undertaker reveals that the streak actually became a thing until he was 9-0 working with Ric Flair. Austin and Taker both believe that Flair is the greatest of all time and the clips of the matches are shown on the screen at this time with WrestleMania 18 being the background. Taker was thrilled to be in the match and he believes you know, there's so much that one can learn from Ric Flair. The first time The Undertaker made reference to the streak was counting 10 on his fingers after that victory. That was when the streak was truly born. The Undertaker brought up how Vince felt bad for leaving him out of WrestleMania 18, and he gave him two choices. They were RVD, Rob Van Dam, or Ric Flair, into which the Phenom quickly chose Ric Flair. This shocked Vince as the chairman figured that the Undertaker would be working with RVD, but the Undertaker brings up how Ric Flair thanked him for restoring his confidence, which he never fully understood until you know, the concussion against Brock at WrestleMania. You know, WrestleMania 30 when that match happened. He was vulnerable to the business, and that match destroyed his confidence. Austin brings up the 25-2 record of The Undertaker while bringing up the other records from their peers. You know, you've got the 25-2 record, okay? So The Undertaker, 25 wins and two losses in the history of WrestleMania. Those two losses were none other than Roman Reigns and Brock Lesnar, who actually would be having a showdown at a future WrestleMania, title for title, and let's be real, streak for streak. Other guys that had notable records at WrestleMania, just to put it in perspective, we got Triple H with a 10-win, 13-loss record. We got Shawn Michaels with six wins, 11 losses. That is so hard to believe. We've got John Cena with a 10 and 5 record, Hawk Hogan with an 8, 3, and 1 record, and then Austin is 5 and 2. 
Austin ultimately joked about his record and how it, you know he deserves a shot at it. So these WrestleMania moments were interesting, right? Because I remember the Undertaker Ric Flair matchup at Mania, and that was a good match. Um, you got these two iconic legends going at it, and they knew how to put on a good show. You put two legends in the ring, they know how to tell a story from that era. So it was definitely a no disqualification match at WrestleMania X8 or 18. That evolution of WrestleMania was so huge, right? It started the evolution of The Undertaker from 1991 all the way to 2020 and beyond. And if we look, just the way he kept the same character but slightly tweaked it and was able to create that 25-2 and two record and competing at a high level for all those years. Next we get into the streak. We'll dive a little bit more into that. Austin turns back to WrestleMania 30, and he notes that he had the audacity to ask The Taker to do a podcast before the biggest match of his life. He then asked The Undertaker both professionally and professionally how it felt that the streak could conclude and how it impacted him. The Undertaker simply replies, and he says, I always looked at it like I wanted to save it for somebody who needed it. He goes, if we were going to break it, it had to be for the right person. I personally didn't think Brock needed it. To be honest with you guys, I agree with him. I didn't think Brock needed it. But he goes on to say, Brock was made and had beaten me, so I don't think it would have elevated Brock much more. So that was my only question. And when I got into the building that day, at that point, I was going still going over some of the stuff. And the finish changed during the course of the day. He knew the second Vince walked into the Undertaker's dressing room that he knew that the streak was going to be broken. Undertaker feels it would have meant more for Roman and helped make him since Brock was already made a made man overall. He loves Brock to death, but just didn't think that Brock was the right guy. I got to agree with you guys. Um, I didn't think Brock was the right guy either. Brock Lesnar... You know, he was already made. He's already done so much. Now, don't get me wrong. WWE made the best of the situation, and it helped push him beyond the arc, right? Um, I really personally felt that it should have been Daniel Bryan that would have broken the streak or CM Punk or somebody along those lines. But we don't know what happened backstage. So Austin then, you know, brought up being in the production truck, and it occurred in reassembling... Um, the one gentleman in the front row with the wide eyes, uh, he was the fan of the streak. Everybody knows this shot, right? He was shocked when The Undertaker lost this streak. and I mean, he's forever in a meme in the WWE universe. I felt like this guy. I could not help but wonder when that streak got broken, I thought the referee messed up. The referee's job is to count, but I really thought, I was like, did they just mess up? the change of the match, and I said, uh-oh, somebody's going to be in trouble. I really thought it was a total. Apparently, only Brock, Taker, and Vince knew, nobody else. So, the Taker feels that two years later, Roman could have been the right guy at the right time. And that's why, later on, he did have that match with Roman. So, then it was Brock and Roman that got um, the honor of beating The Undertaker at WrestleMania. Well, next we go up to a little bit of Bad Blood. Austin brings up the Hell in a Cell match in 1997 at the In Your House Bad Blood pay-per-view, and he wanted to know the origin story of 
the structure, the taker brought up how the continual interference of DX was one portion, but the main reason was for Kane. Ripping the door off and having the brothers face to face, Austin brings up overall um, that, you know, from bell to bell, Shawn Michaels is as good as there ever was. He goes, Shawn Michaels, and Undertaker quotes, could have a great match with a broomstick. The two put over how Shawn could sell and get all his stuff in somehow in a match. Undertaker went on to note some of his overall best matches against the likes of Eddie Guerrero and some smaller guys like Shawn and Kurt Angle. After putting over the match and the athleticism of Shawn, they put over the size of Kane and how great of a character he was. The little nuance of the look and the concern of The Undertaker when to face with Kane was pointed out. Undertaker brought up exactly how Kane was previously worked as Unabomber in Smoky Mountain Wrestling. They actually faced each other and the Taker immediately knew he could make money with him and it was too good not to be in a New York audience. So after he puts over Kane a little bit, Austin then turns a little bit over to none other than Bad Blood leading into WrestleMania where it was the Phenom the Undertaker versus his younger brother Kane. I always like to say not little brother because he is the younger brother because he's definitely not little. After they kind of talked about this for a while, um, Steve was actually challenging Sean on the same night. That was WrestleMania 14, who wasn't in a good place. Taker agrees and laughs and starts to pour more Jack Daniel shots for the two. Steve brings up a word of the street that Sean might not want to do business and drop the title to him that night. At that point in the career, Sean was a very difficult man to work with. The two then take a shot of Jack and they cheers the story. Undertaker explains that Sean was not in a good place mentally or physically, and no one knew if he would do the business. The Undertaker worked with Kane and that evening, but Sean potentially not dropping the belt was weighing heavily on the mind. The transfer of the title to Austin was incredible, important moving forward. Taker sat in the gorilla position and watched the entire match. He taped his hands up and he noted that some way or another the belt was going to get switched. The Undertaker noted that there wasn't so much riding on Austin winning the championship that he would have never he would have happily thrown him back in the ring if he decided not to do it. While the Undertaker loves and appreciates Shawn now and the two you know or close he didn't care for him back then. Shawn asked The Undertaker about the rumors many years later when he became best friends and the taker blew it off and he lied through his teeth about not being serious about it but he actually was the undertaker then brought up a story about returning from neck surgery and not supposed to be taking bumps he proceeded anyway in a mixed tag match and the taker was the one that asked him what the hell are you doing steve explained you know that it was obvious the taker cared for his well-being Going back to the rumor to WrestleMania 14 story, Austin felt it was cool that the Taker had his back from day one since they were in the trenches together, brothers in arms. It was all about business, and the Undertaker knew that he had it basically had to happen since it was Austin's time, and they were in heavy competition with WCW, and the war was at the door. We go on to Behind the Curtain. Austin brought up the Montreal Screwjob. 
and how it affected the business. He confronted Vince in the hallway and demanded that he, you know, go and talks to Brett instead of, you know, The Undertaker confronted Vince and said basically he needs to face Brett face to face. Undertaker is the locker room leader for these guys. Um, ever since the days he grew into this role. Austin revealed that how shocked he was when Brett was screwed, yet years later he gained a new perspective as Taker did. They had the, the friend and the boy's perspective, but not Vince's perspective in mind. Austin wanted Vince to come to him about his situation rather than keeping it all quiet. Stone Cold brings up the, um, the BSK, the Bone Street Crew. They were a band of brothers. The Taker noted overall that they, this band of brothers, which included nothing political about them, but included Rodney or Yokozuna. It included someone that he misses to this day and was taken to us way too early. Uh, the Undertaker notes that he and the Godfather were inseparable. Um, he would call him Bear, which was his nickname from the street. The Taker and Godfather first met each other in Memphis, and in the middle of the ring, the Godfather was very green at this point, so the Taker slowed him down with a heavy chair shot and encouraged him to do things the easy way rather than the hard way. The two were incredibly close following this encounter. The Undertaker would joke that when he was drunk, he would offer the Godfather his Rolex because of how much he loved him, and the Godfather would always give it back the next morning. Undertaker goes on to tell that in his Hall of Fame speech. It's a good story. Steve Austin then brings up the concept of wrestler's court. And you can guess who was the judge in wrestler's court, none other than the locker room leader, The Undertaker. The Undertaker noted that he was first smartened up to, the, to it in Memphis, courtesy of Dutch Mantel. It was thought that it turned into a huge WWF you know, production, and The Undertaker turned into the judge because he was close with everyone and the most tenured in the locker room. Austin brings up that Teddy Long story, which Teddy himself approved, um, that could be shared, and May Young was involved. Teddy, Young, or Teddy Long was brought up on charges, and he became uh, in possession of Viagra, and decided to start selling them to the boys. It came out that um, he got them all for nothing and he was making profit. Related to Teddy Long selling these pills he received for free. The Undertaker joked, you're not making it, taking any bumps, brother. Come on. Mae Young was a witness and this basically more set up the boys were using Niagara or Niagara um, if they were young and fresh, right? So Teddy was found guilty as charged. So this was like a storyline that was broken up and kind of played into a production of Wrestler's Court, right? But Wrestler's Court started off as kind of a real thing. It was a locker room leaders taking justice in their own hands, right? Wrestler's Court was a morale lifter, but it also served a purpose by handling situations before anything got out of control. It's like a locker room lead leading, right? Um, it was this way that the boys would let you know you're screwing up here before the office ever had to get involved. You didn't want to go in front of Vince. Austin brings up the story of Ric Flair challenging the Undertaker to a drinking contest. During a flight back to Chicago, needless to say, Rick tapped out, going to sleep. The Undertaker would lay him across a bunch of seats and then crossed his arms and basically cut out fangs from some napkins which he was placed on. 
All right, so then we get into a brief little summary about the ultimate encounter. This was when, at UFC 121, Austin brings up an encounter between The Undertaker and Brock Lesnar. Brock just got done with a title match in UFC, the Ultimate Fighting Championship. The interview was noted by Ariel Helwani. It is shown on screen. The famous, you want to do it line is shown. Undertaker admits that he was there to pick a fight with Brock and generate some buzz. So The Undertaker would expand on this noted that Brock purposely walked by him and he knew he was there, so he took advantage of it. So right in the middle of the interview, he just looks at him and goes, you want to do it? And Brock, just looking kind of confused, kept walking right on by. I think that planted the seeds for the streak and for Mania. We then get into the concepts of Hell in a Cell a little bit further. Austin bringing up how Hell in a Cell against Sean was much better, but The Undertaker versus Mankind at the King of the Ring 1998 is more frequently referenced. The video is shown of the match on the screen, and The Undertaker described throwing Mick off the cage as the closest to an out-of-body experience that it took forever for Mick to get hit the table. This was an insane match. Legendary. King of the Ring 98. Go back and check it out and just YouTube highlight it if you need to. The choke slam is shown, but only as a part of the section is intended to give away, right? So the Undertaker on the support as opposed to the mesh at the top of the cage. He stood on the mesh and while Mick went through, the Taker um, would have landed directly on top of him. The mesh was popping from the cage. <clears throat> so professionalism and subtle nuance of trying to get kicked out um, with you know of the instinct because he went to pen him and he kicked out and Taker was wondering what he was going to do with Mick. <clears throat> Austin shows a photo of the Undertaker standing over Mick from the top of the cage with the officials and Terry Funk treating him. All Taker was watching is for Mick to move to ensure that he was okay and not paralyzed. Mick Foley made his legacy in this match that night. He got thrown off the top of the cage, something that was never done at that time. And then he got thrown through the cage and it, while he was holding a chair, and he actually ended up knocking himself out and losing a tooth in this match. His tooth actually got jammed up into his nose. We get into WWE Burnt. Steve noted remembering pieces of a match against Kane, which transpired immediately after, but knew there was no way to top that. The Elimination Chamber was the 2010 footage shown of The Undertaker getting burned by Stage Pyro. That's right, Stage Pyro at the Elimination Chamber in 2010. The Austin, Austin watched this live and pointed out how he could have been killed. The Undertaker managed to stay in character, yet the adrenaline was pumping through him. Taker was forced to sit um, in the pod for 20 minutes and then compete for another 20 minutes. And all he could smell was burnt hair and flesh and witnessed his chest bubbling. Yeesh. Undertaker revealed he's pretty forgiving and understanding, um, but pr ultimately, he wanted him to kill the pyro because he was like, you know, there's a little much there. Um, a few weeks prior, the Undertaker had a conversation with the pyro guy and he brought up the concerns of how close the burst of flames were to him. This pyro person dismissed his concerns. The Undertaker switched to a, the duster style coat, which opposed to, you know, kind of like a Hellraiser, that movie, the horror movie Hellraiser kind of inspired jacket, so the fans could see the championship belt. 
This decision occurred minutes prior to the burn. Um, going back to the incident, the left, um, basically the left burst forced the undertaker to turn to his right. So when it bursted, he forced turn to his right and he was burned once and then burnt again when it went off a second time. <clears throat> Fortunately, he had the presence of mind to go forward and keep walking. He could see his right sleeve on his hat in the fire while attempting to remain in character. If this wasn't for the decision to switch coats along with pouring a bottle of water over his head prior to making his entrance, the result would have been far more disastrous. And based on the lack of professionalism and the care from the pyro guy, the undertaker wanted him permanently gone by the time he got back. I'm sure he got his wish. We could talk a little bit about Paul Bear. Austin brings up Paul Bear, Mark's debut as Texas Red against Bruiser Brody in WCCW as Paul, um, known as then Percy Pringle, come down to manage him. The Undertaker noted that the two of his proudest moments include taking an ass-kicking from Brody and Harley Race, asking him to be his tag team partner in the Japan tournament. It was Rick Rude who told Vince about Percy Pringle, actually, and once Vince and Percy met, it was revealed that he had a degree in mortuary science. Uh-oh. Anytime you tell Vince you have any kind of experience, he's going to turn you into that character, okay? So, they were searching for a manager for Undertaker, so this worked out per you know, really well in this case. It was truly meant to be, because of Paul's legitimate background in, mort in uh, being a mortician, he provided the Undertaker with such great insight to the death and the burials and it was the perfect contrast of energy that the undertaker needed for his character to thrive austin and taker put over paul's love for the business and a sense of comedy would simply of just being one of the boys paul bear one of the great managers of all time and even though he would manage mick foley and he also did manage um a little bit of you know back and forth with kane um, he's remembered for The Undertaker. That's his biggest, biggest, biggest thing. All right. We now get into the last ride. The last ride documentary on the WWE Network. It's also on Peacock. You guys, if you haven't seen it, it's a large... Um, it's almost like the Michael Jordan documentary they came out with years ago, The Last Dance. But this is the last ride, The Undertaker. It's a phenomenal behind-the-curtain look at The Undertaker's lifestyle. Highly recommend. The last ride is brought up, and The Undertaker asks if the process was, was a relief. Steve loved it, and he felt that it provided fans with valuable insight. The Undertaker was extremely proud of the documentary, and it started with him wanting footage, really. He originally believed the match against Roman was going to be great. The purpose was to be a chronicled interaction with talent and document his mind. Um, he goes, there's basically, there was a documentary stretch out there for three years that he wanted to try to get this footage going. Austin asked him if the camera crew shadowing him was intrusive, you know, to his lifestyle. The Undertaker had to work through it. Uh, there were moments where the camera was over his shoulder and he immediately forgot they were there. In his mindset, he was protect, 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 and suddenly he had to let his guard down. So uh, once he got comfortable with presenting himself to the audience, it was much smoother. He also didn't want people to feel sorry for him 
and other wrestlers because he loves the business and he has no regrets about anything he did. Um, he basically then wanted you know, the audience to understand why and why he loves the business so much. This was his lifestyle. This wasn't just a job. It was his career, his lifestyle, and something he truly enjoyed and he'll take with him for the rest of his life. We're going to go into his next and final match that The Undertaker had. And I think that was a great match. A phenomenal match, if you will. And that's a pun intended. That was with AJ Styles, the phenomenal one. And it was the Boneyard match. Austin asked if the Boneyard match was writing the ideal ending of his story. The Undertaker noted that AJ is the best wrestler on the roster today and the closest wrestler to Shawn Michaels. He was training hard for the match and well ahead of the pace, but it was geared towards a match in the ring. Due to COVID, the plans changed and the storyline changed, and The Undertaker loved that the match transpired outside of a warehouse. After AJ personally attacked him, the match made far more sense to take place outside of a ring. He brought up the Holy Trinity reference, which stood for The Undertaker, The American Badass, and Mark Calloway, The Holy Trinity. Those three things, Taker, American Badass, Mark Calloway, is The Holy Trinity of his characters in wrestling. Steve brings up the death of The Undertaker's brother immediately prior to the match. So not only to be bearing that burden, The Undertaker, uh, his body felt you know, physical from the toll of that match for weeks. The filming of the match took place for hours. And while they didn't take a lot of crazy bumps, they took place on the ground. The Undertaker revealed that physically it was difficult, but emotionally it was well due, you know, mostly to the loss of his actual brother. He soldiered on, but revealed that, you know, having to call his mom and inform her that one of her kids has passed away. Sadly, he was forced to wait because of the responsibility for the match and the restrictions due to COVID. Austin fell in love with the Boneyard match and he suggested that the match came together after initial conversations with the Broken Skull Sessions um, with AJ reaching out about the match and wanting to have a match with The Undertaker. The Undertaker agreed and he noted that's exactly where it came from and he said the one guy who is the, the guy Undertaker wanted to work with again and again the original match was intended to be in the ring but he adapted it because of COVID. The Undertaker still wonders what it would have been in a traditional sense if it was a wrestling match. He ponders that. But Austin references The Undertaker, noting that the cowboy has ridden off into the sunset. The Undertaker's okay with it, and only because he can't physically do it at that level anymore, and that he wants to, per you know, that he really wants to perform at. So this was a great way to do it and send off. Um, if it were up to him, he would do this forever. He came to a place in his life where he can't go out and just half-ass it anymore. He has to have some respect for himself to make an entrance, hit a choke slam, and a tombstone. It's disrespectful to all the other performers, too. So the Boneyard match, you know, definitely, um, this was his final point here. And he says he has to have the passion to do it, but he doesn't have the tools to do it. The Undertaker was asked about it. And he had to say goodbye to the Survivor Series, which felt really difficult. Guys, we're going to get into the final thoughts. So uh, that Boneyard match was intense. I loved it. And in the days of the pandemic, 
it was like the match that WrestleMania needed. We needed something like that. And it was a great way to send The Undertaker off strong in a cinematic performance to idolize his career. All right, it was iconic. Well, guys, on the final thoughts here on the channel, on this episode, um, Steve asked, what's your legacy and are you satisfied? He asked the taker that. And you think of all the years and all the eras, right, between these two shows. Undertaker's responds with, I'm definitely satisfied. I think I can walk away from this business knowing that I did things the right way. I never had to stab anybody in the back. I think that I have respect of my peers, and that's the biggest thing with me. Having the respect of my peers and knowing whatever the situation it was and wherever it was, it was always best for business. He hopes the fans understand how much it meant to them to be the undertaker for those fans. If he physically couldn't do it, he would hear the gone and then it would just turn on, right? And then he would get out there and do it for them. Steve points out the crucifixion shot on the screen um, and pours a shot uh, from one of all-time greats to one of the all-time top careers in the history of the business. And guys, that was the end of the Broken Skull Sessions Part 2 with The Undertaker. One more round. Um, this was a great way to wrap up. This is a nice way to wrap up if you're going to watch The Undertaker documentary on the network. Great way to wrap up and just kind of have a nice feel-good moment with The Undertaker and getting the true self. Highly recommend the watch, but you know what? We got the highlights here because this is the podcast of the podcast. If you didn't want to just watch the podcast or you want a little more, go check it out and get the full score on the network. All right? Appreciate you guys being with me. And like we say, like, share, and subscribe. Love you all, and have a good night.